Today we are continuing to talk along the lines of justification by faith and not the works of the law. And we are also continuing to speak from Romans chapter 3. I did a verse by verse in our previous session of Romans chapter 3 up to verse 19. And now we're going to continue. I'm going to just pick it up uh, in verse 19 and uh, recap a little bit on what uh, on what we said about verse 19 and then uh, we're going to go right ahead to the end of the chapter and it's really going to bless you what i've said in uh, in essence in last week's message was that god wanted to uh, or god was basically put on trial if we can, can call it like that there's no one that can put him on trial but we just uh, use this hypothesis if you want to call it like that or just an idea of god being on trial we use this picture and he had to prove that what he said was true. And he did in raising Jesus from the dead. And man had to prove what they said was true, which they got from the devil, which was that man is an inherently immortal being. And man couldn't prove that. And God helped this whole thing so that man can come to the realization that he is not an inherently immortal being so that he would stop to try and live forever by his own works and continue to die and that he could rely upon God for eternal life. God never wanted or never gave the law so that any man would die by the law. He gave the law so that man could come to a place where they can realize that eternal life is only accessible through Jesus, through God. Now, let us read verse 19. It says here, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them that are under the law. And the purpose is now mentioned, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Now, if you've just if you've just slotted in, that might sound very bad because now it is everybody's guilty before God. And if you're guilty, it means you're going to be punished because you are guilty before the law. And we know guilt equals punishment. But this is not what this passage has in mind. This passage has got something else in mind. I want to just touch on where it says that every mouth may be stopped. You want to see what every mouth may be stopped means, you have to go back to verse 10. And what it is saying there is that basically that both the Jews and both the Gentiles were unprofitable in their teachings in bringing man to eternal life. It's very important to understand the following point. If you don't understand this point, this whole message is not going to make sense to you. We need to start from the presupposition that man is not an inherent immortal being. We, we need to understand that human beings are not immortal. That is difficult for us to understand. It's difficult for us to believe. I think one can understand that, but it's difficult for most people to believe. Because when you say that a human being is an inherently immortal being, you are actually saying God is a liar. And that is the very poison of the devil which was from the beginning, which has been ingrained into man. That man is this eternal, immortal being. And then we wanted to try and look at the gospel 
from the perspective of, well, we don't need eternal life. We're going to live forever anyway. So uh, let's try and make sense of this book. Unless you come to the point where you realize that man was made from the dust of the earth and that when he dies and he's not believing in God, he will return to the dust of the earth never to live in any form or fashion. Meaning that the spirit of man is not eternal. The spirit of man, uh, or let me put it like this, the soul is not eternal. The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. That's what it says. There will be no remembrance of him. He cannot think. He cannot reason. He will be dead. The one that doesn't believe in Jesus and dies is dead. We need to understand that. Uh, a human being is not a being that's going to live forever anyway, uh, live forever in heaven or live forever in hell. And just gonna, we're just going to abandon the earth. God's going to abandon the whole project he started on the earth, take some people to heaven, take, put some people in hell, and there they will live forever in hell, and others will live forever with her, him in eternal bliss in heaven. If you believe that, I want to tell you the Bible, this book is going <laughs> to it's, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to make sense. You will try here and there to get a good motivational message out of it or a grace message wherein you see God as someone that doesn't punish you or is not angry at you or that kind of a thing. But you're not going to understand the heart of the gospel. I've spent a lot of time reading this Bible. And not through the time that I've spent reading this Bible, but through the revelation that the Lord has put upon my heart, I have seen in the time that I've read this Bible that this truth about uh, immortality as a gift is everywhere. It is just everywhere. And I find that there are uh, some, some theologians that seriously study the Scriptures. That's in agreement with us. That eternal life is not something that everybody has. It's something that God gives. We need to understand that. And not just understand, we need to believe it. If that is what, if you can believe that, the scripture will just open up to you. Now, with that in mind, let us go to Romans 3.10. And, and now you'll understand what I'm saying here. It says in verse 10, 11, and 12 that both Jew and Gentile were basically um, unprofitable. Unprofitable would mean neither Jew nor Gentile could get it right to produce one human being that can live forever and never die. But God could. Can you see how that makes sense? In the beginning, God said to Adam, Adam, you cannot live forever by yourself. I can give you access to eternal life, and I want you to have eternal life, and I want to bring it forth in you. Through faith in me, you will have this. Now, I don't have time to re-preach all the messages I preach on that, but I want to just lay this down as I feel in my heart to do this. The devil came to Adam and said to, them, said to him, Adam, that's a lie. God is not speaking the truth. You can have eternal life by your own power. And what did Adam do? He believed the devil and thought that God is a liar. So, if Adam believed that you can have eternal life by your own ability, what must he do to prove that what he believes is right or that the word of the devil is correct? 
He has to produce a human that cannot die. But God said to him, when you eat of this, you will surely die. You will definitely die. Adam had, he could die if he eat of that tree, but he could live forever should he believe in God. But if he eats of that, he would definitely die. And what did he do? He did not believe that eternal life comes from God and God is the only source of it. He believed that he was an inherent immortal being by himself and therefore he relied upon himself and had to produce eternal life. And no one could. Adam died, Eve died, everybody died all the time and there was no human that could produce by his own works an immortal human being. Nobody. That's why uh, the scripture says that Jesus Christ is the only begotten or the first begotten from the dead. He was the first one that was raised from the dead in a physical human body. Someone that died and conquered death to never die, to rule over all sin and all death. He was the first one. So God said, I can give to dust that doesn't have eternal life. I can give unto that that dust eternal life and God did he proved it in Jesus but Adam or the generations of Adam mankind that believe that by their own works they can live eternally by themselves and produce life by their own works they could not produce an immortal human that's why verse 12 says they are all gone out of the way they are all together become unprofitable there is none that does good, no, not one. Because the good in God's mind, or doing good means to preserve a life forever. To see no one die, to let them live. Listen to verse 13. Their throats is an open grave. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of snakes is under their lips. He's using the language of Adam and Eve and the devil and what happened in Genesis 3. And he is saying that uh, the system of works righteousness is unprofitable. It cannot produce eternal life. But we know that God can and he has proved it in Jesus. And the most beautiful thing in what is done in Jesus Christ was he took this man Jesus that he raised from the dead and appointed him as the Lord over all death, so that by Him, not by us, by Him, we now can have access unto eternal life, as we just rely upon Him, for He knows how to conquer death. Glory to God. So we see, in, and this summarizes the lesson, or, or, the, or the last week's message, wherein we said that every man is a liar, and God is true. It means every person that teaches, well, you can be blessed by doing these five things, or you can be blessed by, having, by being rich, or you can be blessed, let's use modern day things, you can be blessed by having uh, uh, plastic surgery and stuff done on your face and all those kind of things. You can be blessed. God's definition of blessed is, can you live forever, be immortal, Flooded with the love and the goodness of God forever, never to die, to shine brighter than the sun in the very glory of God. That is God's definition of blessed. 
And we find that everybody that has ever done work on their face has, in the past, we haven't found one that could medically uh, enhance their life to the point that they are now two or three or four thousand years old, shining with the glory of God, never becoming old, sharing in the utmost love and kindness and goodness. There is not one. All systems that promises all these beautiful things and wants to convince you there is life in that is a lie. It is all a lie. There's just one place where you can find eternal life and there is historic proof of that there's historic proof that jesus christ was raised from the dead bodily and we find the love of god manifested in that man and the bible says in john 3 that this resurrected jesus the one that was begotten from the dead the only begotten from the dead which you which is defined in acts 13 i think 28 it's he is the only begotten from the dead. He was given unto us so that we will not die or perish but have eternal life. And even when we die or should we die, He shall raise us from the dead. And you might say, but what proof do you have that you shall be raised? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, and we've seen it in our own lives, and many of you have seen about it, heard about it, seen friends that has experienced signs, wonders, and miracles in their lives, which is all a sign of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. So here it says, now we know, in verse 19, that whatsoever the law says, it says to them that are under the law, and this is the purpose of the law, that every doctrine or teaching or thing that produces, that says you can have life, that it can be stopped, both Jew and Gentile, that man can come to the bottom line conclusion that we can't do it. Now, a little bit of historic background. When you go and study the Mesopotamian cultures, you will see that a lot of them had laws. But what the Jews had was what they called the superior law, which was not man-made, but written in the very hand of God. So they believed that their law was the highest law that there is. There is no better set of rules whereby you could get life. What the, uh, I, I mean, if we look at, uh, uh, at America, and we look at democracy. They believe that their constitution, the Americans, uh, I, I mean, they believe their constitution is the best constitution there is in the whole world. Therefore, they believe that the highest quality of life can be lived in America. Why? Because of their constitution, because of their law. Then we'll find other people differ and say, no, 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 no. We, we have a better constitution than the Americans. You, will, you might find the, 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 the Swedish people or the people in Norway or somewhere, they might say, no, 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 our constitution, we've got a better system. You might have a democracy, we've got more of a so socialistic kind of a system or whatever. Our law is better. This law can produce more life. Now imagine all these people fighting amongst each other on whose law is the best. And then there's a, a nation where God comes down on a mountain 
and he appears to them and gives them the very law of God. I mean, they would believe that they've got the best set of rules to produce eternal life. But that law was given, and no one could even do that law. Therefore, the whole world becomes guilty or uh, is found with lack of evidence that they, by their own works, can produce immortality or eternal life or the fruit of God. That's why the law was given. The law was given that man can come to the end of himself, that we can see we cannot have eternal life by our own works. And to all of those that do believe in some form of a mixture of law and grace, I want to say this to you. <laughs> why do you want to use what doesn't work and add it into what God has promised for free? A very good type and a shadow of a person that would mix law and grace in the Old Testament would be Abraham. Abraham um, had Sarah as his wife, but she couldn't fall pregnant. God promised that, she, that he would give them an heir. Then she didn't fall pregnant for a certain time period. And back in the Mesopotamian times, the law that Abraham was under said that if your wife after 10 years cannot have a child, then she is allowed by the law of the country because they, they believed you're only allowed to have one wife. You can't have more than one. Uh, there were other cultures back then that if this wife cannot give you a child or produce a child, then you have another one and another one and another one until you have uh, children. But in Abraham's, under the law that he was, I'm not even talking, I'm talking about the Mesopotamian, uh, Babylonian culture that he lived in. They believed in only having one wife. So how could they then have children if she cannot produce a child for him? Then the lady had the permission by law to give the slave girl that works in her house to her husband so that that lady would then produce a child for her, for Sarah. So Sarah gave Hagar, legally, because that was the law of that time, to Abraham to produce a child for her. So what, what happened? God promised that he will give a child, but the law also had a promise of a child. And now you want to mix the, the promise of the law with the promise of God. Listen we find that the fruit that was produced, God said that that is a sign of bondage. That is a sign of bondage. And some might wa watch this, and you might be a Muslim watching this, and, and you might say, well, you know, um, this is not right. You know, uh, uh, we can't just, you know, the, the Jews aren't the only people of God. I want to tell you, there are no people both Jew and Gentile, and this is what the law here says, all are found lacking proof or evidence of what they believe. The Jew could not produce what he believes will take place should he obey the law. The Gentiles, with all their laws, could not produce it. And we're not supposed to mix these things. Just get the mixture thing out of your life and just trust Jesus. That is how simple it is. So verse 19 says that every mouth may be stopped, meaning every teaching may be found as worthless. 
every teaching on how to have a good life all the in today's day all the yes men all the motivational speakers all that that you can come to the bottom line conclusion that none of them can produce eternal life they can help you with daily things here and there but cannot it's not life-giving goes on all the world may become guilty before god the world world there and we're continuing in the notes is the word cosmos which talks about the world system the people in it the earth and all that's under humans influence the world of the jews the gentiles and all humans that is in the world and everything that's under their influence when it talks about to them that are under the law it talks to the jews so what he's saying here that the whole world may become guilty before god the whole world is at a place where none nothing in this world has got any evidence or any proof that it can give you eternal life outside of the one event that took place 2,000 years ago, and that is when God raised a man from the dead. That is it. So I want to tell you, dietary laws and healthy eating and all the creams and all the oils and all that, it might help a little bit here and there, make you feel better for a while, uh, but it will not give you eternal life. Okay, the word guilty there, you've got it in your notes. Uh, the word guilty simply means, and I want to just, uh, it means subject to the judgment of God. The phrase is taken from the courts of justice. It's applied to a man who has not vindicated or defended himself against whom, therefore, the charge or the in, um, indictment is found true. So what he is saying is, is that, God is saying to man, man, what you are saying that you can have life by your works is a lie. And when you become guilty is when you are found that you couldn't vindicate or defend your position in a court of law. So here man is found guilty. He couldn't produce the goods. The devil system was found to be a, a system of lies and deceit. And we find that God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of the law through the giving of the law and the fulfillment of the law has proven and given proof. He has defended his position. He's vindicated. Um, uh, 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 he's vindicated his, himself and his position, what he believes. He has proven what he has said. And this was done not so that not for the purpose of telling man now you're worthy of judgment and punishment and death and hell. No, it was done so that man can be redeemed, <laughs> saved from that. Let's go to verse 20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now we always say, well, I remember somebody said to me, no flesh will ever be justified before God. That's a lie. That's a lie. Flesh can be justified before God. There is flesh that has been justified before God. It is the resurrected flesh of Jesus Christ that has conquered sin and death by the power of the Holy Spirit and God uh, proving what he has said from the beginning and actually making true what he has said from the beginning that in him is eternal life 
there is flesh that was justified before God. And I want to tell you that you can be justified by God as well. Your flesh can be justified by God. But your flesh cannot justify your flesh. And that we need to understand. And I think that we need to grow up as Christians and say, well, glory to God. I, I want to understand more. I want to see deeper into this. And I actually, like the Apostle Paul said, I want to grab hold of the very thing that made God grab a hold of me. The understanding that God has is the understanding that I also want. Where we can come like Adam uh, in the beginning, and this was basically his job, if you want to call it like that. Think and reason with God. Think the thoughts of God. Feel the feelings of God. Share in the very life of God. And we need to get to that place as Christians. And I want to say to you, um, a, a, a nice motivational message is a very nice thing and a good thing. And if you want to hear nice motivational messages, go to my YouTube channel and you will see I upload a nice motivational message founded in the gospel of grace that's one minute long there. And you can watch that and that will encourage you for that moment and give you something to go and think about. But a Sunday, if you've come to the Sunday message, you've got, you are here with a thinking cap on, a heart that's open to, to be taught, and uh, you are at a place where you say, I want to understand the depths of the gospel. Th that's why you're here, and that's why I do these messages. I'm not doing these messages to just to have a Sunday uh, feel-good message. I want to tell you, I don't have to have a Sunday feel-good message. Because if you just understand the gospel, you'll feel very, very good. You will really feel good. You'll feel good the whole week. You'll feel good for the rest of your life. Because this saves you from flesh, justifying flesh. Here the scripture says, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. If it says, therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, it's already got the, the, the presupposition there that flesh can be justified in another way, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Your flesh needs to be justified with eternal life. But, but Bertie, my spirit lives forever, and I don't even want my body to live forever. Well, then you want what God doesn't want. God wants humans to live forever. And the example of the perfect will of God is the man, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Glory to God. Think about that. Think about the resurrected Jesus, the empty grave, and what God gave. And think about the fullness of God's life that he has granted unto the man, Jesus. And he has justified him. How? In, raising, in the resurrection. And he's poured out the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says will also save our bodies from mortality and make us as humans immortal and share with us the very salvation that includes the salvation of the inner man, the thoughts, the feelings, and all those kind of things of a man 
wherein we can live in the love and the kindness and the generosity and the peace of God. Glory to God. So here it says that no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For by the law shall, for by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, but by the deeds of Christ. What he's done for us, our flesh shall be justified. Let me explain what flesh means. Genesis 9, 17. And God said in, unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between you and all flesh that is upon the earth. Now, he is talking about people. You and all people. The Bible even says that creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For creation, all that is physical in creation, shall be glorified with the same glory as what we have. I tell you, the salvation thing is not a Mickey Mouse thing, man. It's a big thing. It is something that is greater than our minds. It is something that is greater than what we could ever have thought about. The Bible says what, could, what, what couldn't even arise in the mind of a man, God has prepared for us. Hallelujah. We cannot think. I, I, I see it so many times. So, Bertie, do you want to tell me that if somebody's died in the grave, that God's going to raise that man from the dead 10,000 years from now, maybe, if it takes so long for Jesus to come? My mind cannot even fathom that. Hallelujah. Amen. That is exactly what God has prepared for us. <laughs> Amen. He's conquered sin in the flesh. That is what he's done. So if he has conquered sin in the flesh, it would be unjust for sin, not to, uh, uh, for flesh. To, if he's conquered sin in the flesh, then it would be unjust for flesh whose sin has been conquered not to live forever. That's what he's come to give us. John 17, 2. And you have given him power, this is to Jesus, you've given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. My goodness. <laughs> this makes me so happy. And you have given unto Jesus power over all flesh. No, no, Jesus got power over my spirit. And he's just going to make my rubbish. That is not the truth. Here it says, and he has given him power over all flesh. And now he says what he should do with that flesh. That he should give eternal life. How will he give eternal life? In the last day, raise them from the dead. That's what he's saying. Justified. What does justify mean? In the notes there. To render righteous or to bring forth the proof of righteousness. To render righteous or to bring forth the proof of righteousness. Thigh definition says this way. To render righteous or as one ought to be. To show Exhibit evidence of one to be righteous, such as, such as you ought to be, or wishes himself to be considered. To declare or to pronounce one to be just, righteous, or such as he ought to be. So, are we to die? Jesus, when he was raised from, when Jesus was on the cross and he died and he was put in the grave. When he was in the grave, was that how God wanted him to be forever? His spirit in heaven and uh, his uh, body in the grave. Is that how God wanted him, how he ought to be for time and eternity? No. 
to render him as he ought to be, he had to be raised from the dead. Glory to God. And that was just. And that was manifesting his righteousness. That was to show, exhibit evidence of righteousness. So, the law can never show or exhibit you as righteous. If you say, well, I have eternal life in me. I, I, I'm, a, I'm an inherently immortal being. And by the law, I'm going to live. The Bible says, that by the deeds of the, you shall live by the deeds of the law. If you want to, those who do those things shall live by them. Those who do the law will have to live by the law. But who of us can live by the law? No one. That's why the law cannot justify any man. Through the law, there is no, no proof of righteousness. No, you cannot exhibit or bring forth any evidence that you are right in what you believe through the law. But if you say, well, I don't have eternal life by my works, but Jesus Christ died, He was raised from the dead, and He is Lord over death, even my death, you are righteous when you believe that. You've believed unto righteousness, and you confess that Jesus was raised from the dead. You are confessing unto the salvation which you shall experience, which is to be raised. Hallelujah. Can you see how this whole thing makes sense? How it fits together? It fits together. Amen. It says to show exhibit evidence. Want to be righteous. When you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, that's right. You're right now. And if you say that through him I will have eternal life because he's Lord over sin and death, you shall be saved. It doesn't say you are already saved from physical death. You shall be saved. You now have the first fruit of your salvation, which is the Holy Spirit, but you will see the rest of it in the day of the Lord. Let's read um, Romans 1.16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now you've already now heard the definition of salvation. I've just mentioned it. You shall be saved. Saved from what? The grave. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God, the fact that God was right. Guys, you please, you have to listen to last week's message. For therein is the fact that God is right, revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall have life by faith. Okay, so the just shall die by the law, or trying to live by the law, or trying to have life by their own works. The just shall die by that. But the just shall have life. I can actually not say the just. The unjust shall have death by trying to live by the works of the law. But the just, or that word just, can is exactly the same Greek word for righteous. But the righteous shall live or be justified by what? By faith. What is he saying in Romans 6 here? That, uh, 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 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for, the, for in it is the power of God revealed unto salvation to everyone believed, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. What is, it, what is he saying? What is he saying when he says from faith to faith? 
Very simple. The gospel was the message that Jesus was raised from the dead. And from faith to faith means I've got faith that Jesus was raised from the dead. Therefore, I'm also of the persuasion that I shall be raised from the dead. That is from faith to faith. And it says the righteousness of God is revealed in God raising a dead man and promising you the resurrection. And that is what he has said from the beginning. He was righteous from the beginning when he said to Adam, listen, here's a tree, here's a tree of life. Eat of that tree, you will live forever. Eat of this other tree, you will die. So God was right from the beginning that through my life you will live. And he's proven it in Christ. So we live by the faith that Jesus has died and that he was raised, that we will have a resurrection through that. That's how we have life. So uh, let me just go back to verse 20 quickly. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. We think that the justification of flesh, the legalistic mind, here's the justification of flesh as I am justified in continuing with my sin. But that's not what Paul has in mind here. What Paul has in mind when he says, therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, what he has in his mind is that by the deeds of the law shall no human become immortal in his body, in his whole human being. I don't even want to say in his body because there's no part of a human that is immortal. The, God has come to bring immortality to the whole human. And if you want to challenge this, take the scriptures, go and study it. Go and study that and come with scriptural proof, not Mickey Mouse guess, guesswork. Proof. Amen. Um, right, let's read on uh, 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 there. It, it, it basically says that he is just and the justifier of them that believe. Uh, he is just, Jesus is, is the just one, he's the justifier, in other words, he is the one that will manifest our immortality in us. He's the justifier, he's the one that will justify you in your flesh. Glory to God, he will physically justify you. From faith to faith, I've already explained there. Um, let's go to the next verses there going to just jump in your notes i've got some nice things there about righteousness and justification i've put it all down there get the notes info at dynamicministries.com write us an email we'll send it to you uh wednesday or thursday before the the sunday service you'll have it before the service uh, romans three twenty one. but now the righteousness of god without the law was manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of god which is by faith or the faith of Christ Jesus unto all and upon all them that believe, there is no difference. You see, the law was taught this way. You need to be faithful to God in obeying the law. And you need to be faithful to the law. You need to be faithfully doing the law. But here it says clearly, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest. In other words, what God has said from the beginning which is, I can give you eternal life. Life is by me. That was God's message from the beginning. God's promise from the beginning was eternal life. Titus 1 verse 2. God who cannot lie, who has promised us eternal life from before the world began. Okay, so from before the world began, eternal life was a promise to us, something that still had to be done. 
So people believed they had a promise of eternal life. As they would believe upon God, this manifestation would take place. Okay, you might say that doesn't really make sense. Well, we don't have time to go and explain how the temple, uh, how uh, 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 Genesis is actually a temple narrative and all of that. We, we don't have time for that. One day we might have time to do that or uh, feel the courage to teach on that. When we look at uh, Romans 3 here, it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, saying that the law and the prophets actually prophesied and said the truth, that there will c come a man that will bring eternal life, and what God has promised from the beginning will happen. The law and the prophets testify of that, and testifies that God was speaking the truth when he told Adam, you don't have eternal life in your own works, or by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is what he's saying here. Now it says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith or faithfulness of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. There's no difference. So what he's saying here is that this righteousness of God is through the faith of Jesus Christ. That word faith it would be better translated as the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Unto all and upon all that believe. So the faithfulness of Jesus is whereby we are saved. We are saved by how faithful Jesus was in believing the Father. We're not saved by our own faithfulness to the law. We do have to have a faithfulness. And the faithfulness that is from our side is to be faithful in believing that it's not by our faithfulness. To be faithful to Christ in saying that it's only by Him and not by our works. So it says here that, and this is what Paul is doing, and what he's having in the back of his mind is now telling these people that he's writing to and the Jews in the congregation that would read this, that salvation is for both Jew and Gentile. And that is where it actually started out in chapter 1 where he says that he's not ashamed for it is uh, uh, it's the power of God to whosoever believes, be it a Jew or a Greek or a Gentile. And now he's explaining that. And this is what he says here. He says, The faithfulness of Jesus is unto everyone, Jew or Gentile, and it is upon manifesting on those that believe. The fact that Jesus died for you, the fact that he rose from the dead, doesn't mean you're going to automatically just be raised from the dead. You have to believe this. This is how it works. Now, I don't have time to explain why, but there are many messages where I've explained why. Uh, in the archive let's go on to verse um, verse 23 it says for all have sinned come short of the glory of God means that all everybody both Jew and Gentile have missed it in bringing forth the glory of God which is immortality forth in themselves he says since the Gentiles missed it and since the Jews missed it therefore when Jesus was faithful to conquer sin and death it has to be for everybody that missed it and therefore it's a free gift to both Jew and Gentile verse 24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ grace in this passage refers to the power of the resurrection unto the believer through the resurrection of Jesus Christ it should be understood as the effect that the resurrection of Jesus has on people. It says being justified freely by the effect that the resurrected 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ would have on humans that doesn't experience the resurrection power but believes on Jesus. He says that's how we are justified. Where and how? We are justified in our flesh. We even see the first signs of justification in things like miracles that takes place. An enlightened mind to see and understand more of the gospel. Peace in your heart in the midst of, um, of tribulation. The other day I spoke to a lady. She said uh, she, that they found a, a growth uh, on the nerve uh, behind her eye. And um, she said when they saw the, the growth, she felt the heart is not cancerous. But she felt that if they remove it, she's going to be blind in her eye. And she went home and she wanted to cry. Now listen to this, and some of you might want to switch this off at the end of this message, but listen to this. This shows true freedom to me. And she said um, <coughs> she wanted to cry because she knew she's going to lose her eyesight in the one eye. And she felt God say to her, what's so bad to just have one eye? Now, when you say that, it's like, what are you talking about? But God knows that having two eyes cannot give you eternal life. But God will raise her up in the last day to have eyes that can see everywhere and everything anyway. And what I see there is, I see a freedom that I see in someone like Dawn Warner, who's only got one leg, but she is happy where she is and i already see the first signs of justification for it is not just to be unhappy all your life if you only have one leg god is bringing the first signs of justification our first justification is manifesting that lady called me i spoke to her she's blind in her one eye they had major brain operations and open up her brain and all those kind of things and you know she's happy she's got joy her, her, her concern is, I want, I want other people to understand this peace and joy. That's her concern. That's her worry. <laughs> but she's blind in her one eye. But she's happy. Now, I know some of you are, are thinking, how can Jesus say, uh, uh, how is it, uh, how can it, uh, how is it bad just to have one eye? I believe what we need to hear in that is, the same as I'm wearing glasses. Is this changing my salvation? Is this changing the fact that I will be raised from the dead? The proof is not in my glasses, if I, in my eyes, how I see today. The proof is this, and this is the thing. All of us has got this disease called death. Even um, Kenneth Hagen, that lived this hell, even Kenneth Copeland, that says that he never becomes sick. That's if I understand him correctly. Living in divine health. You know what's going to happen if Jesus is not going to come? He's going to die. That's it. I tell you now. He's he suffers from a sickness called weakness of the flesh. Called mortality. And there is, there is signs of, let's say uh, uh, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, those guys. They've had divine health. To me, I believe in that. Hallelujah. And that is a sign to me that God can and will fully restore the body. And we just see a, a drop of it now. But we see, if I look at those folk, if I look at myself, I include myself in this package. 
I look at pictures of my first videos I've made on YouTube and I look at myself now, I see two things have happened. The video quality became much better. That's the one. Glory to God for that. But I can see, even if it's an old video, that I was much younger. I had much more life in my body. I see that. But you know what? Although I'm suffering in my own body, I see the signs of death. I don't fear death. Because I've got historic proof with a confirmation in my heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And I'm not going to seek life by anything else. I'm not going to seek life by how many people I reach. I'm not going to seek life by what car I drive. I'm not going to seek life by what food I eat, how much I exercise, who my friends are, uh, who I influence, who gets saved, who doesn't get saved. None of that. I cannot find any life by that. The only signs I've had is I've had some miracles in my life take place when I remember one day I was, I, I, I was almost on a deathbed man, with malaria. I weighed 58 kilograms. You know how, I, I don't know in pounds what 58 is. It's like uh, 120 pounds. And I am 183 long. I, I mean, I'm a tall guy. And weighing 58, you're a skeleton. I was, I was so ill. And I remember my wife came and she laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I was instantly healed. That to me is a sign. I've already experienced a sign of what shall be in the resurrection. And I cannot be justified by anything else but that Jesus. And he will do it in my life. Well, we have now run out of time i have not finished uh, everything here but i've uh, got detailed notes there go and read through the rest of the notes and you will see that we are freely justified by grace um, that he is just and the justifier of those that believe it is not by our works and therefore we cannot boast by our own works boasting is excluded there is no boasting anymore meaning that there is no one nation better than another nation. All are equal before God. None could prove their righteousness by their own works. They could not bring forth immortality. But we have a Jesus that has proven it. And the wonderful thing that we have is. And this is what Romans 8 comes into. He says that even in this world. In the midst of all these things. We are more than conquerors. And I see that. I see like that lady that is, is blind in her one eye where the devil would say, well, you see, she didn't have sight in her eye. So that's a sign that God cannot do something. No, the fact that I see joy in her is a sign that God is even greater than that, than blinding, being blind in the one eye. We as Christians, I just feel <coughs> in my heart, I want to continue on this. We as Christians has made the Alpha and the Omega on what I call the American dream. It's the car you drive, wealthy, prosperous, freedom, and all those kind of things. But what about the people in China? You know, what about 
Their government's not going to change tomorrow. And I tell you now, there are people that live in Zimbabwe today that's going to die in Zimbabwe under the greatest poverty as Christians believing in Jesus. Is the fact that they are now poor any sign or indication on anything? None at all. What I see when I've traveled in poor countries third world countries where people are really poor. I remember Elena and I going to Mozambique just after the war. You will find after the war, people are scared. If you would, if you would drop a paper in the street, they'll pick it up. Not because they, of any law. It's because they don't have paper. They didn't have paper. They didn't have plastic bags. If you drop a plastic bag, they pick it up because they've got nothing. Not even a bag that somebody throws away. I remember those times. You get there. You, you preach the gospel as people. They sit in their greatest poverty. And they're willing to share. They're willing to love on you. They are happy. To me, that is a sign of a God that is greater than a situation. They don't go like the Buddhists try and just get everything away from them. And now they must be happy in their, uh, you know, denying themselves any pleasure or something like that. No, they're not denying anything. They're just happy because there's a happy God that is justifying them. And it is just that they have joy. And they can have, and it's not just that we have joy based on our circumstances. That's unjust. What is just is that we can have joy, doesn't matter what. Like in South Africa, the way they, they work with electricity here is crooked. So we don't have electricity all the time. So what do we do? We are happy even if we don't have electricity, glory to God. <laughs> how can I find my identity in how much electricity I have if somebody that doesn't know how to manage finances messes up the, uh, the electric, uh, uh, electricity system and now all the Christians feel cursed. Oh God, what have I done because I don't have electricity or I don't have a nice car or my kid didn't get this or can't go to that school or that. Listen, your kid doesn't have to go to the best school. Let me just be honest to you. Your kid doesn't have to go to the best school to have a life. <laughs> Glory to God. Your kid can be happy in any school. Give him the best you can, but don't go and kill yourself to feel, feeling that if he's not at this or that school, then uh, he, he, he will never have a life and then I'm a bad parent. Get over that. Get over that. At the end of the day, that school's not going to exist anyway. We're going to find a glorified earth, a glorified people living in this earth, being justified with the very justice of God. Hallelujah. You don't always have to have the best of everything. And I want to sp I speak this to this prosperity gospel thing. It's thank God if you have things, if you have the best of everything. Glory to God. But you know what? I've spoken to some rich people. Most of them, 99% of them, don't find, feel that that cannot give them life. They've got it and they know life is not in it. It's a nice to have, but I can't, I would, uh, uh, joy in life is greater than these things. The more stuff you have, the more worries you've got. I've seen that. And people will testify of that. The happiest people are people that believe in Jesus, in realizing the true gospel, wherein God brings life to them. Amen, amen. Well, I want to thank you so much for watching this.
and uh, allowing me just to speak into your heart uh, know this that the only justification that is just is to have joy doesn't matter what the only justification that there is that is just towards you is to have peace doesn't matter what the only justification as pertaining to the fullness of you that is just according to God is when you shine like the resurrected Jesus that appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. <laughs> and he has promised that to us. And he's now, as we believe upon him, given the spirit that will make all that true. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks so much for watching, and then I will see you again next Sunday. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Go to Bertie Brits. What did I call myself there? Can you remember? Bertie Brit. I, I, well, I will put the link on Facebook anyway. I've put the, uh, I can't remember what I, what I called myself on, on, on Instagram. But um, I will put the link on Facebook and you can click there and they will get one minute messages that encourages you simple message with some of this depth also um, put into the message and you can listen to that mondays to thursdays and you can also get the same kind of message a little bit longer uh, via whatsapp so uh, follow me there and you will get these messages see you again next week god bless mm -hmm.